The president's latest sit-down interview was a mess and a half. The Bachelorette may just have its most head-spinning season ever in the works. And the Washington Post Jacob Bogage is here to tell us why the Postal Service has been so slow lately and why it could be bad news for the 2020 election. The date, August 4th, 2020. The time, News O'Clock. Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Okay, so Casey, before we dive in, I just got to vent a little bit that I am so stressed by looking at my Instagram stories, especially over the last weekend, and just seeing the number of people who are going to big events in real life again. It is oh. truly crazy. Make Are you seeing this too? Um, thankfully, I'm not seeing it in my own like timeline in Instagram, which makes me feel good, but... I have seen it like on Twitter and stuff like that, where people are just like hanging out and my anxiety is like, ah. I know. I mean, uh, one of our colleagues, Julie Reinstein over on BuzzFeed News, tweeted about it and someone responded to her on Twitter. Someone I went to college with posted this caption along with photos of her big wedding in mid-July. And the caption was a quote from the seventh Harry Potter movie. Jenny, seems silly, doesn't it? A wedding, given everything that's going on. Harry, maybe that's the best reason to have it because of everything that's going on. (laughs) Okay, here's what I want to say. J.K. Rowling wrote those words. So is that the person we want to be trusting? (laughs) Not at the moment. Not at the moment. I maybe we should have read more books. Maybe just maybe we should have put down the Harry Potter and moved on. (laughs) Listeners, we want to hear from you. Are you seeing what we're seeing on your Instagram stories? Have some concerns about the social distancing protocols at an upcoming baby shower? Open up the voice memo app on your phone, tell us all about it, then send that file to newsoclock at buzzfeed.com. That's newsoclock, all one word. Or you can just send us a DM on Twitter. We're at newsoclock on there too. Okay, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. A new interview with President Trump aired on the show Axios on HBO last night. And if you haven't seen the clips going around on Twitter, they're a trip. Axios reporter Jonathan Swan sat down for a one-on-one with the president, and throughout their conversation, Swan pushed back as Trump attempted to perform spin on subjects reigning from mail-in voting. So they're going to send tens of millions of ballots to California, all over the place. Who's going to get them? I have a friend who lives in Westchester County. They send applications, not that. His son passed away. He had a beautiful, wonderful son, young man, passed away seven years ago. He called me. He said, "I I just got a ballot. Probably For my son, Robert. Probably he died not. seven years ago. To his views on the late Georgia representative and civil rights icon, John Lewis. John Lewis is lying in state in the U.S. Capitol. How do you think history will remember John Lewis? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know John Lewis. Uh, he chose not to come to my uh, uh, inauguration. Uh, he chose... Uh, I, I don't... Uh, I never met John Lewis, actually. The real humdinger was the back and forth between the two over the administration's response to the coronavirus. Trump was armed with a few charts printed on loose sheets of paper, continuing to falsely insist that because U.S. testing is high, daily case numbers are high. Swan's attempt to correct the president went as well as you would expect. Our testing, I believe, this is the testing, yeah. Yeah, we do more tests. No, wait a minute. Well, don't we get credit for that? And because we do more tests, we have more cases. In other words, we test more, we have... Now, take a look. The top one, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. The, the top, Jonathan. If, 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 if hospital rates were going down and deaths were going down, I'd say terrific. You deserve to be praised for well, testing, they but even, they're all going you know, up. They very rarely 60,000 Americans are in hospital. If you watch the thousand news dying or read the papers, they usually talk about new cases, new cases, new cases. I'm talking about death. Clips from that full interview have been going viral 
all day. We'll link to the full interview in the show notes. Definitely encourage you to watch it when you're done listening to this today. And even though a lot of us have been thinking that there's at least a few weeks left before schools have to confront the coronavirus, students across the country are already back in classrooms. And things are already not going great. Atlantic staff writer Amanda Mull wrote on Twitter that though most schools on the coast tend to start after Labor Day, some in the Midwest and South begin in early August. She made that point while responding to a tweet that showed a crowded Paulding County, Georgia high school hallway with only some of the students in masks. 60 miles away in Gwinnett County, Georgia, students are scheduled to start school on August 12th, a.k.a. next Wednesday. The Atlanta Constitution Journal reports that already there are over 250 school employees in the county who have either tested positive for COVID-19 or are in isolation because of exposure. And the New York Times this weekend reported that last Thursday was the first day of school at Greenfield Central Junior High School in Indiana. And that very same day, they learned that one of their students had tested positive for coronavirus. I saw that picture of the high school hallway in Georgia and my heart because it's just packed. Everyone is bumping in shoulder to shoulder. You remember what high school was like. Everyone in the hallways between classes is just smushed in together, trying to make their way through backpacks jostling against each other. And I counted like maybe a half dozen kids in the immediate like frame who were wearing masks. It's not looking great. Yeah. And it's wild just like where there are those students who are wearing masks and then the ones who aren't when we know we've seen the studies that really the risk is going to be the people who aren't wearing the masks. They can still spread it to people that are wearing masks. Like, yes, it's a little less likely, but it can still very much happen. Right. Uh, I'm hoping that Georgia gets this under control in the near future because they were already one of the places where cases have been spiking. So as schools begin to open up more and more over the course of the country, I fingers crossed is all I can say to that. Okay, Casey, what's on deck with you today? Well, first up, the Taylor Swift fans have something big to celebrate today. She just made history as the first artist to have a single and an album debut at number one in the same week. Despite only giving her fans 16 hours notice before dropping the 16-track folklore and its first single, Cardigan, the Swifties were, well, swift, (laughs) shooting both of them up the Billboard charts. The album is so far the biggest debut sales week of 2020, according to Billboard. And Cardigan's instant number one spot is the first time Taylor has landed that ranking since Shake It Off dropped in 2014. It's also worth noting that this is the first time one of Swift's singles has made it to the top while being 100% owned by her. Before dropping the album Lover last year, Swift and her old record label got into a dispute over the masters of her first six albums, prompting her to sign a new deal that gives her all the rights to her work. Honestly, good for her. I, I feel that more artists should have more control over their work when it comes to the record studios. And the fact that this one went straight to number one, good for her. Yeah, I, I honestly think a lot of fans don't know that their favorite artists don't have all the rights to their work. And it's just that, you know, Taylor Swift has been extremely vocal about it, which, again, good for her. Okay, so moving on to something that no Bachelor fan saw coming. The new Bachelorette season has only just started filming, and now reports say that ABC is allegedly swapping out the Bachelorette herself. So Claire Crawley's season has had issues. A pandemic, you know? They had to figure out how they were going to film. They also had to find men her age because she is the oldest Bachelorette that the show has ever had. But 
now she's in love and the show may be stopping for her. <laughs> she apparently fell hard for Dale Moss, who's a former NFL player, and um, called off the whole season after she met him on the show. Everything is really unclear right now because ABC hasn't put out an official statement, but the rumors, which are looking more like facts every day, suggest that Tasha Adams, a former Bachelor contestant, will be replacing Claire midway through the season. E! Online says that Claire's still going to lead the season, but then there's going to be a major change when Tasha comes in. If you're a fan of the show, you might be thinking, okay, but how do we know that this is actually happening? And well, I'm here to tell you that Lauren Zima, who is not only a reporter for Entertainment Tonight, but is also the girlfriend of Bachelor host Chris Harrison, has posted on her Instagram that yes, Tasha is allegedly the new Bachelorette. And if you're not a fan of the show and are thinking, why should I care about this? Well, my only response to you is that this is a pandemic and everyone should be safely at home. So what else have you got going on besides watching this show once a week starting in September? <laughs> Thank you, Hayes. Well put, Thank well you. put Casey. <laughs> honestly, uh, that's all amazing. I I love, honestly, when the drama behind the scenes of a reality show is yes. bigger than what's happening on screen. And I honestly think that's becoming more and more the case for the Bachelor franchise because they really, all the contestants on the show really start like a, this friendship community where they all know each other. They're all in each other's like text groups and stuff like that. Like they know each other from everything. And so it's like, yeah, the drama is real there. And it's just wild that this is happening. And I also think it's hilarious because, you know, every Every season, Chris Harrison is like, stay tuned for the most shocking season yet. Something you've never seen before. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we actually have never seen this before. And I'm genuinely interested in what they're going to do because I'm like, um, how are they just swapping the Bachelorette's midseason? Are they going to recast the men for Tasha? Are they going to be her leftovers? Like, well, she didn't want these men. So here you go. Well, that's the thing that they might be the leftovers. And I'm only saying that because they've had such a problem with the pandemic and they have to isolate all these men. So the fact is, like, I don't know if they're going to recast. And I just think it's kind of funny because it's like, OK, we look at the show and, you know, sometimes, yes, people find love. But uh, you think like, oh, maybe they got good matches for them but if they keep the same men then it's just very apparent that's that just you know. a random draw <laughs> and honestly i love that the one time someone found love right away completely messed them up they have no idea what to do <laughs> okay it's time for a short break when we come back we've got the washington post jacob bogage filling us in on why our mail is late and how it could affect the election be right back Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm excited to be back with a new season of You and Me Both. You know, when we started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. But I am a firm believer we're stronger together. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. 
Listen to you and me both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jake Halpert, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. Until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. The U.S. Postal Service is one of the oldest in the world, delivering mail to citizens through rain, sleet, and dead of night since 1791. But lately, there are worries that not only is the Postal Service being dismantled, but that it's happening right as the U.S. is gearing up for an election where more people than ever vote by mail. We're joined by Washington Post reporter Jacob Bogage, who's been covering the drama inside the Postal Service. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So, The Postal Service is such a part of our lives that we don't really think about how it actually works. And for years, they were doing fine, but recently it's been under a ton of financial strain. What happened there? How did they get so deep into the red? There's two answers to that question. The first one is that we're just not mailing things at the same rate that we used to. You pay your bills online. There's email. I mean, how often are we sending letters anymore? A lot less often than we used to. So as mail declines, paper mail, so that's, that's the most profitable mail product for the Postal Service. As the, those volumes decline, you know, that means less revenue coming in. Um, the other answer is that the Postal Service does make a lot of money, but it has to pay a lot of it to a prepaid retiree fund. The Postal Service employs 630,000 people. It's required by a 2006 law passed through Congress to prepay its retirement health benefits for years and years and years out in the future. So the Postal Service has uh, $160.9 billion worth of unfunded liability, which is just a special kind of debt. $110 billion of that is due to pay retirees. So they're digging themselves out of a hole while mail volumes are declining and while some of the money they do have that comes in, they have to shell out to pay retirees. The president appointed a new postmaster general this year. Who is he and what sort of changes has he made to operations? Sure. So I'm going to correct you real quick because the president didn't appoint the new Postmaster General. The Postmaster General serves at the pleasure of and is appointed by the Board of Governors to the Postal Service. The Board of Governors are Senate-confirmed supervisors for the Postal Service. The way it generally works is uh, whichever party is in the White House has a one-seat majority on the Board of Governors. 
So Louis DeJoy, who's the new Postmaster General, succeeds Megan Brennan. The best way to get an understanding of who Louis DeJoy is is to compare him to his predecessor, Megan Brennan. So Megan Brennan uh, was a former uh, letter carrier. She worked her way up through her career from letter carrier all the way up to Postmaster General, running the whole thing. So she knows the processes of the mail inside and out. She knows everything about the organization compared to Louis DeJoy, who came in from the private sector, ran a logistics firm. You know, it started out as a small family business. He grew it to to have 10,000 employees. It was a major employer um, in uh, North Carolina around High Point. And it was a really successful business. It did a lot of contracting with the government, especially with the Postal Service, repairing mail trays or mail hampers, things like that. Things that we use to move the mail, but not necessarily moving the mail itself. So he came in on June 15th and since taking office has already made some policy changes to how postal workers organize and deliver the mail. The biggest of those changes is no more overtime. If it takes you more than eight hours to deliver the mail, even if that means leaving mail behind, even if that meant mail came in late and ordinarily postal workers would finish their route and then run back out and deliver the mail that came in late or they'd send somebody else out, we're not doing that anymore. If mail comes in late, stay in at the post office. If we need extra time to deliver that mail, not happening. So the president, he's been railing pretty hard for a while now against the Postal Service and demanding that it raise package rates. Why would that be such a big deal to him? I can't get inside the president's head, but I can tell you that package prices are not the issue. The president likes to say that internet shipping companies or internet retailers, and what he really means is Amazon, um, are swindling the Postal Service. They're making a lot of money because they get these cheap rates. And that's really not true. What Amazon and UPS and FedEx have are what's called negotiated service agreements, or NSAs. It's just a fancy name for saying, you send a lot of packages, so we're going to give you a little bit of a discount. In exchange for that discount, you have to do some stuff on the front end to organize your packages so it's easy for us to deliver, deliver them. But those discounts are only like 5%, if that. And for the number of packages that private shippers use the Postal Service for, um, it's a really a great deal for the Postal Service. The Postal Service is also required by law to make a profit on any package it delivers. It can't deliver a package for a loss. In fact, there's a formula on how much it has to charge for a package because some of the amount of however much it makes has to go and subsidize other parts of the Postal Service. So every single package, even if it's under an NSA, even if it's getting a marginal discount, the Postal Service is making money on that. And it's becoming a larger and larger part of their business. So some of the changes we've talked about and been hearing about are slowing down people's packages and deliveries and probably making them even more or less likely to use the Postal Service. Is that a bug or a feature of these changes? That's a great question. I think when it comes to packages specifically, it's a bug. Because think about what you'd use the Postal Service to send a package for or what these private companies are using the Postal Service to send a package for. The Postal Service goes to 160 million addresses in the United States six days a week. By the way, that number 160 million is only going to get larger. The reason they use the Postal Service is because the Postal Service is going out to all those places anyway. 
And it's not cost effective for UPS or FedEx or Amazon to go there on their own. You know, you don't want to drive all the way out in the country to drop off, a, you know, a thing of paper towels and then get back on the highway. The Postal Service is going anyway. Just give them that package. And so in terms of packages, when we're talking about premium mail products or uh, guaranteed delivery dates, it would be very harmful for the Postal Service to say to its competitors, who it also sometimes cooperates with, uh, we can't guarantee your delivery date anymore. Don't use us. With mail products, in particular, you know, the paper stuff, that may be more of a feature than a bug. We're looking at cutting down on overtime, cutting down on extra expenses. And so if your mail gets there a little late, part of it could be wanting to reset the expectation on the kind of service you can expect from your mail because the Postal Service, to the Postmaster General's credit, is in a world of hurt financially. And it does kind of have to reimagine itself. Well, given how much it's struggling, has Congress tried to help the Postal Service at all lately? Yes and no. There are a number of bills in both chambers right now. Kristen Gillibrand, for example, in the Senate has um, a bill on postal banking. There was another postal banking bill that passed the House recently for a pilot program on postal banking, which is basically you could create your own small savings account through the Postal Service. And that would create a whole lot of business for the Postal Service and give it a ton of access to capital. So that's one. There are other proposals just for, like, direct funding to the Postal Service. And so, yeah, Congress is trying, but but are the critical movers in Congress? Is Mitch McConnell interested in doing this? We've also seen President Trump falsely talking about how unsecure voting by mail is and how he doesn't want the election decided weeks or months after Election Day. Do we know how this slowdown of service will affect ballots being delivered yet? We don't exactly know how it's going to affect ballots. Um, Ballots enjoy some special privileges in the postal system, and they also don't enjoy others. So if there's a backlog in mail, it kind of depends by jurisdiction if postal workers are able to grab ballots and bring them from the backlog to the front of the line. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, it's time for Meanwhile on the Internet and Listener Buckle up, because this one is a doozy. It's the story of a scientist who allegedly died of COVID-19, but may not have actually existed at all. At sciencing underscore bi was a Twitter user who said she was a bisexual geologist or paleontologist of Native American descent. From her account, she tweeted about sexual harassment and diversity in science, two things that haven't been talked about enough until recently. Since April, the person behind the account has been talking about their struggle with the coronavirus, which she blamed on lax procedures at Arizona State University, which forced her to teach as late as April. They also said that the school had cut her salary while she was in the hospital. A woman named Beth Ann McLaughlin, who runs an anti-harassment nonprofit called Me Too STEM, tweeted out on July 31st that Sciencing Bai had died of COVID. But then things got weird. Turns out there's nobody at ASU who matched the description of sciencing by, and the school closed down in March. So people began to get suspicious and found a bunch of links between McLaughlin and this account. 
That included sciencing by telling people to Venmo McLaughlin to support her. It also included sciencing by claiming that they had been assaulted by one of three professors the Harvard Crimson said had been the subject of multiple Title IX complaints. They then used that story to push people to support McLaughlin's group. Now, Twitter has shut down both McLaughlin's account and sciencing by, and the online science community is basically like, what the fuck? Okay, what the fuck is happening? Yes, what the fuck is happening? I I mean, someone's not telling the truth. <laughs> I, I think we might know yep. too, but yep. <laughs> I, oh, she so far is denying that to BuzzFeed News and other outlets. But it seems pretty clear that, yeah, McLaughlin was using this sciencing by account as a sock puppet, basically. And now indigenous scientists are like, why would you do this? Marissa Duarte, a Native American researcher at ASU who studies how indigenous communities build Internet infrastructure, told BuzzFeed News that the deception was sickening, given that indigenous communities in Arizona have been devastated by COVID-19. She said, we've gone through emotional periods of ups and downs for the whole summer, as many people we know personally have died. For this to happen at this time is really exhausting and frustrating. I can only imagine. And honestly, I think the weirdest part of this whole thing was the memorial, quote unquote, that McLaughlin uh, had invited people to for sciencing by. Apparently, only five people, including McLaughlin, showed up to this thing on Zoom. And several other people there just look so very confused in the screenshot that is in the BuzzFeed story. About, yeah, about like what was happening. Yes. I mean, because everyone's like, what is happening? And also on top of that, it's not just indigenous scientists who are like, why would you do this? Assault advocates are also like, okay, but why would you do this? So many questions. Uh, The Internet is a wild wild place and you know sock puppets and the drama of like who's running a fake account and who's not has been a thing for about as long as we've had the internet but this one is it's a lot you can read the full rundown of the story from science reporter peter althouse in all of its wild detail at buzzfeednews.com or on the buzzfeed app that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for our deep dive into Beyonce's new visual album, Black is King. And remember, if a mask isn't a part of your kid's school uniform at this time, ask some questions. Ask a lot of questions. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of Music Lock. It's time to gear up for the NFL postseason. Yes, sir! Head over to NFLshop.com today for the largest assortment of officially licensed gear. I need it! NFL Shop is your destination for jerseys, T-shirts, headwear, and more. Oh, you're sweet with it! Come back after the game for the best selection of NFL gear anywhere. How you like that, baby? Rep your team pride with styles fit for the whole family. To shop now, go to NFLshop.com. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635-635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. 
After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit. On the podcast 90210OMG, visit Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind-the-scenes stories that actually happened. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Listen to 9021OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.